All right. We're getting very close to chapter 29, which is Job's, uh, what do you, what do I call it, uh, his most glorious moment in the flesh. He thinks so much of himself, and Job is you and me. I'm not talking about Job, I'm talking about you and me. He's just a type and a shadow of that. These things happen to this man, Job. They happen to him and they're written for us. Not so that we won't have to go through it, but so that we will see what is in our flesh. So, let's start out in chapter 28. We'll just read the verses as usual and get right into our study. Surely there is a vein for silver and a place for gold where they find it. Or just refine where they just the English way of saying iron is taken out of the earth brass is molten out of the stone of course we are the earth and these things are speaking of us we're not talking about rocks and stones here he sets he God sets an end to darkness and searches out all perfection the stones of darkness and the shadow of death in other words God is working in us like I said we're not talking about stones and and gold and silver we're talking about us. The flood breaks out from the inhabitant, even the waters forgotten of the foot. They are dried up. They are gone away from men. As for the earth, out of it comes bread. And under it is turned up, as it were, fire. The stones of it are the place of sapphires. And it has dust of gold. There is a path which no fowl knows, and which the vulture's eye has not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. He puts forth his hand upon the rock. He overturns the mountains by the roots. He cuts up out rivers among the rocks. And his eye sees every precious thing. He binds up the floods from overflowing. And the thing that is hid brings he forth to light. All right, now, this is chapter 28, and Job is going to be holding the floor all by himself all the way through chapter 31 28, 29, 30 and 31 four chapters he's in the process of declaring his own righteousness like he's been doing all along and his great knowledge of God and his ways but in doing all this he's also judging the wicked of whom he thinks he certainly is not Having no concept of self-righteousness and of being judged out of his own mouth, Job continues to do just that. Condemning the, the beast and the man of sin, which is really in his own members, but he's totally unaware of it. Let me just read again Romans 7, verses 17 through 23, just to demonstrate what Job is not aware of yet. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law, and that law is a law of God also because there's only one law. But I see another law in my members, uh, 
another law of my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bring me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, these verses of Romans 7 are rank heresy to us while we're in our Babylonian self-righteous Job stage of our walk. And we all go through it. That's what Paul is referring to. Paul isn't saying, I just can't overcome sin. He just told us that he could in chapter 6. And he tells us again in chapter 8 that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not succumb to this weakness that is in our flesh that he is telling us about here in chapter 7. We need to understand what's being said and not do as the world does and use chapter 7 to turn grace into lasciviousness. Paul was not subject to his flesh and sin did not have dominion over him. He had been given the power to resist the the flesh that he dwelt in. And you and I have been given that same power, Lord willing, and we will do just that. But Job knows nothing of this, and none of us know, know anything about it when we're in that stage of our walk. We're all carnal babes in Christ who think we have had our senses exercised to know good and evil long before we do. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 4. I, brethren, couldn't speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with meat. Hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able to bear it. For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, and let's think about you and me now, envying, strife, divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? So let's, let's not say that it can't happen to us. It's in our flesh. We have got to strive to overcome that. For while one says, I'm a Paul, and I'm a, another, I'm a Apollos, are you not carnal? So, Hebrews 5.13, Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their exercise, senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So when you've been through the temptation to become exalted, then you can become humble. When you've been through the desire to be divisive and the inclination to be divisive, then you can be united. You've got to know what you're up against. And we all have to confess that we've been through those things and not be like Job and think that we've never sinned and are not in need of repentance. In Babylon, we're always speaking far above our understanding. We do it all the time. We say God is love and we don't know what we're saying. We, we say his, his mercy endures forever. We don't know what we're saying. We say God is sovereign and we don't know what we're saying. So too Job will be speaking far above his own understanding in this chapter. Alright, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 28. Surely there is a vein for silver and a place for gold where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth, brass is molten out of stone. Listen, we are the earth. This is talking about us. All the metals mentioned right here are are refined by fire. There's no other way. That's the meaning of there's a place for gold where they refine it, where they purify it in fire. Refining in fire is essential even for the very basest of metals. Uh, From lead to tin to iron to copper to silver to gold, fire is essential to them all, from the basest to the most precious. So we've got studies on on the metals that you need to really need to read if you haven't seen them yet. 
they all have great significance to understanding God's word. Now Job knows that fire is required for purifying and and all metals have to be purified by fire, but he doesn't understand how personally applicable are the lessons of the words he's speaking. Job doesn't believe that he needs to be purified of anything. He's already clean and without transgression, and he maintains his own righteousness and his own integrity. In Job 33, uh, Elihu, who is a uh, young man who's on the sidelines, we haven't even been introduced to him yet, but he's there. He's there listening in on all that Job and his three older friends uh, have to say. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a, uh, of a uh, Steve Crook and A.O. Mitch Coon, you know, <laughs> sitting on the side listening in on, on what's being said. And here's what he tells Job. He says, <clears throat> and he's speaking for God. He's not re- rebuked. He's not chastened by God at the end of the book. He is speaking for God and he's speaking the truth. And he says, surely speaking to Job in chapter 33, verses 8 and 9. Surely you have spoken in my hearing and I have heard the voice of your words saying, I am clean without transgression. I'm innocent and neither is there any iniquity in me. Nevertheless, this is the truth of this matter for all mankind. And I'm reading now out of Numbers 31, verses 22 and 23. Only the gold and the silver, the brass and the iron and the tin and the lead... Everything that may abide the fire, you shall make go through the fire, and it shall be clean. Nevertheless, it shall be purified with the water of separation, and all that abides of not the fire, you shall make go through the water. Now, we, we've come to know and understand that the water and the fire are both the Word of God in different forms, and, and that this purifying, uh, whether it's by water or fire, is actually by the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 through 15. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. That's the finding of the gold that that Job is talking about. And the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide what he has built thereon, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer a loss. Well, Paul makes it very clear that every man's work is tried, and every man has works that will be burned up. And then he concludes, He'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet, so as by fire. So that is that is what is needed here. Now, all the works of the flesh are burned up. Not because we chose to do so, but because God himself ordained that we all bear a sinful earthy body before we can bear a heavenly body. Now let me read a few verses that I don't have in the notes here, but I want to include them. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 through 50. And so it is written. This is by God's ordination. This is just the way it's done. There, there is no other way. It's written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. We're both. We're both. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. Afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, so are we when we are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we have, all of us have, even Job, though he is apparently not 
aware of it as he needs to be. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. And as I always point out, that refers just as much to Christ and his Christ as it does to any man who's ever lived. Job 28, verse 3. He sets an end to darkness and searches out all perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. Now, setting an end to darkness is not plan B for God. Darkness is the biblical type of ignorance of the thoughts of the mind of God and His Son. All men are first children of darkness and are born into the shadow of death, the earthy. Uh, Because the biblical darkness and the shadow of death are one and the same. In scriptural terms. Look at Matthew 4.16. The people which sat in darkness. That's all men. All men, from Adam to, to Christ, were in darkness. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. <clears throat> and to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light is sprung up. Again, all men. Christ came to them. He is that light that has sprung up. So the end of darkness, which God himself created, the darkness God created, was set by God himself before the world began. And that's, that's a quote from this verse we'll be reading here shortly. It was God himself who created darkness. He created it for the very purpose of first placing us as creatures in the darkness, in the ignorance of who he is and what his ways are. It's only by first being in darkness that God demonstrates for his creatures what is the light in which we now dwell with him if indeed he is living in us and we are living in him and his, uh, his son. Look at Isaiah 45, verses 4 through 7. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called you by name. I have surnamed you, though you knew, knew me not, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded you, though you have not known me. They shall make me know from that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and I create darkness. I make peace and create evil. Evil, darkness, light, peace. I, the Lord, do all these things. We, can, we need to quit putting it off on the devil and on the wicked men of this world who are who are indeed wicked and start realizing that they're doing exactly what God has sent them to do. So, when did Christ do all of this? When did he form the light and create darkness and make peace and create evil? When was that done? Well, what do the scriptures tell us? God set an end to darkness as a means of dealing with the unforeseen. I'm asking a question here. Did God set an end to darkness as a means of dealing with the unforeseen result of the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which caused our first parents to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Is that what God did? When do the scriptures tell us that God made this decision to place us first in darkness and in need of a Savior from our sins? And to set an end to darkness. When, when, did, when did that happen? When, what do the scriptures tell us? Here's what the Bible answer to that question is. 
1 Corinthians 2, 7. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world began unto our glory. Now the word world is ages, but it's before times eonian. Before he created Adam, in other words. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, in God's mind, before the world began. God had it all figured out. He knew exactly what we would do and what we would need. And he knew we would need a Savior. Titus 1, verse 2 In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So God has had all of this in mind all along. God is not operating on plan B. He's the ultimate cause of all things, including all sinful uh, creatures which he has filled with darkness and whose darkness he has set an end before the world began. Verse 4 of Job 28. The flood breaks out from the inhabitant. Even the waters forgotten of the foot. They are dried up. They are gone away from men. Now if we can remember that we're the earth. And that everything Job is saying about the earth. Is actually speaking of us. Then we'll get a lot more out of this verse here. And end all of the God's word. Just like the light and the darkness. Which are both created by and whose dark end is set by God so too the floods are brought upon our sinful lives forgotten of the foot is a phrase which in biblical terms refers to our walk and the way in which we conduct our lives the word darkness in the previous verse refers to uh, the walk we are first given it is God who gives us to lose our first love to walk first in darkness and to forget that even the floods of life are given to us by our own Heavenly Father for our own good. King David, Isaiah, and all the prophets proclaim this same message concerning the sovereign work of God, even over the evils in our lives. Psalms 107, verses 25 through 29. He commands and raises the storm which lifts up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. They cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He makes the storm calm so that the waves there are still. So there it is. God takes us into our trials and he brings us out of them. God created the darkness in our life and he brings us out of the darkness in our life. So, the knowledge of the truth of those words of Psalms 107 are are the waters which are forgotten of the foot and are dried up and are gone away from men. So too is the truth of these verses of Scripture. These are some waters dried up at the foot gone away from men. Nobody knows what this says and they don't believe it when they read it. They don't see it when they read it and if they do see it, they don't believe it. Psalms, I mean Isaiah 63 verse 70. O Lord, why have you made us to err from your ways and hardened our heart from your fear? Now, who did Isaiah said did those things? He said the Lord did it. Made us to err from, our, from his ways and hardened our hearts from his fear. 
Return for your servant's sake the tribes of your inheritance. The Lord has made... Psalm 16, verse 4. The Lord has made all things for Himself. What does He mean by that? Yes, even the wicked for the day of evil. And He's speaking to you and to me. He makes you and me wicked for the day of evil in our lives. No one is left out. Mankind is out of the ground, is made in that marred form, just as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of of life all at first come out of the ground and are all conceived in sin and shapen in iniquity before they are then made anew as it seemed good to the potter to make it. That's a quote from from, uh, Isaiah 18 verse 4. Job 28 verse 5. For as for the earth, out of it comes bread, and under it is turned up as it were fire. Verse 6. The stones that are stones of it are the place of sapphires and has dust of gold. Now there is buried within our flesh the potential of becoming a very son of God. And that's what that's what we're being told there in Job 28 verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 12 verse 6. Oh, wait a minute. Let's go back to the fact that God has ordained the purification come only through fire, through pur, the Greek word for fire, from which we get our word, English word, pure or purify. So we're plainly told, just plain as it can be spoken, Hebrews 12, verses 6 and 7. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now that's speaking of fire. If we endure chastening, God's chastening fire, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chastens not? The fire under the earth, which produces the precious stones and the gold and the silver, is the chastening and scourging of a loving Heavenly Father who has ordained that it be so before the world began. Every man's work shall be manifest, for the day will declare it, verses 13 through 15 of 1 Corinthians 3. The day will declare it uh, because it will be revealed by fire, poor, God's chastening, scourging fire, and the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. Every man. No one gets around that. 1 Corinthians 3.14 If any man's work abide which he has built thereon, he himself will receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so is by fire. So there's no other way to be saved. It's by fire. And that fire, as I said, is the word of God. Job 28, verses 7 and 8. There is a path which no fowl knows, and which the vulture's eye has not seen. The lion's whelp have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. Now, that is a true statement. We may not understand it to begin with, but we will, in time, understand what is being said. Well, there is always both a positive and a negative application for every word of Scripture, and while the olive, I mean the dove, is used as a symbol of the Spirit of God, and the lion of the tribe of Judah is Christ, when the word fell, especially in conjunction with the vulture, vulture's eye 
is uh, used, it's clear that we're speaking of those unclean fowl, which snatch away the word, and which torment God's people before they are delivered from the power of those spirits. When a lion is mentioned in this same context, it's obviously referring to the lion which is sent to devour God's people. It's, it's no less than Christ himself who reveals to us the, the uh, naming, or the meaning, I should say, of what is meant by the fowls. So let's read Matthew 13, verses 3 and 4 to get a handle on this. And he spake many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. So what does Christ explain are, are the fowls? This is Christ's explanation of his own parable. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which was sowed in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. God is so powerful. He is not even breaking a sweat when he is tearing down the very strongest of mankind, and humbling him through his word. Here's the scripture which tells us what is this fierce fierce lion. First Peter uh, 5 verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Now here's an example of a path which no uh, fowl knows, and which the vulture's eye has not seen, and which the lion's whelps have not trodden. Here's an example of what the wicked one has not seen in which the wicked one is yet is not yet made privy. Matthew twenty eight verses Matthew eight verses twenty eight and twenty nine. And when he was come to the other side unto the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with demons, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. <clears throat> and behold they cried out, saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Are you come hither to torment us before the time? Those those evil spirits had no idea what was going on. They realized something was about to happen, but they had not seen it with their eye, and they were not prepared for it. As this entire book of Job demonstrates, all foul and roaring lions are nothing more than or less than mere servants and instruments of our Heavenly Father to the extent that they are said to be from the Lord and are called thy hand. Job 11 verse 1 verses 11 and 12. Put forth your your hand, this is Satan talking to God, put forth your hand now and touch all he has and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all he has is in your power. Only upon him put not forth your hand. So Satan dwelt, Satan went forth, I should say, from the presence of the Lord. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. This is Saul, uh, 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 and 15. E- explaining and demonstrating the same truth. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, an evil spirit from God troubles you. Job 28, verse 29. He put forth his hand upon the rock and overt- overturned the mountains by the roots. That's, that, that's the very next verse. God puts forth his hand upon the rock 
and overturns the mountains by, by the roots. If indeed God's hand is the devil, as Job 1 and 2 demonstrate, then when he puts forth his hand upon the rock, and if Christ is the rock, then we must conclude that it was God himself who put forth his hand upon our Lord to deliver him up to the death of the cross. It is not exactly, is that not exactly what the scriptures tell us? Well, let's look at it. Acts, verse four, Acts 4, verses 25 through 28. Who, speaking of, of, of uh, Christ, speaking through King David, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage, rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child, Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together for to... Here's the reason for it. Here's why it all happens. I mean, we could go to the end of, of the book of Genesis and demonstrate the same thing. God is working all things after the counsel of own will. For to do all of this, all the th- events leading up to the death of Christ, we are told were to do what your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. God is the one who is doing it. He cuts out rivers among the rocks, and his eye, see- eye sees every precious thing. He binds the floods from overflowing. And the thing that is hid brings he forth to light. The light that is hid brings he forth to light. The thing that is hid brings he forth to light is just another way of saying that there is nothing which is hidden from God. And that's exactly what Christ tells us in Matthew, in Mark 4, verse 22. There is nothing hid which will not be manifested. There, neither is there anything kept secret, but it shall come to bro- uh, come abroad. An even deeper understanding of the mind of Christ and His Father, what His Father teaches us from God's perspective is that light and darkness are both alike to Him. The truth is that we cannot hide even our very thoughts from Him, simply because even those thoughts are His work, the work of the Lord, and are known by Him before, we're, before they're ever conceived in us. Psalms 139, verses 2, Two through, uh, let's see how far does it go? Sixteen, I guess. You know your my sitting down and my up rising. You understand my thoughts afar off. You compass my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. We'll see that Proverbs sixteen tells us the same thing. You have beset me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. How did he do it? Well, he did it through Satan, just like he did Job. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Well, Job couldn't either. Whither shall I go from your presence? Whither shall I from, from your spirit? Whither shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, behold, you're there. And that's King James English, mind you. God is in hell. Uh, 
If I take wings of the morning, take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night will be light about me. Yes, darkness and light. Darkness hides not from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Those are strong words there. So God is not trying to keep up with the affairs of all mankind, but he's rather working all mankind's affairs after the counsel of his own will. Now, here's Proverbs 16.1, saying what David just said. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You think, well, wait a minute. What if I curse the air balloon? <laughs> I just read the verse. I just read it. Now, here it is again. Verse 4. The Lord made all things for himself. Yes, even the wicked curse in the air balloon for the day of evil. You stick any sin in there you want. God is the one who is sustaining all things and makes these things happen. Causes them to happen. Ephesians 1, 8 through uh, 12. Wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, all things his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now, next week, if the Lord wills, we'll learn what is the source of all wisdom.